Here's my question. Was that appealing to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life? Which one do you think? You say, say, a lot of you say eyes, right? And the reason is because it's appealing. But it's probably appealing to your appetites, isn't it? Which would be the lust of the flesh. As you watch commercials, I, they're always going to appeal to one of these. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Now, I know all of you are going to go to McDonald's. Don't do that. Um, we didn't put that on there for that. Um, but what we are doing is we're talking about those things that destroy us, our hang-ups, our sin, the things that Satan uses to attack us and to derail us from what God wants us to do. So we're in this series called See Through because one of our chief objectives is to be able to see through what God, uh, uh, see through what Satan, uh, the temptations that Satan sends our way, see through them, not admit to them, not submit to them, not surrender to them, but see through them for what they really are and obey God. Last week, we had uh, a statement that we kind of, we kind of just kind of, that, that was our lesson, our mantra for the week, and it was this. It was, until sin is bitter, Christ will never be sweet. Until sin is bitter, Christ will never be sweet. In fact, the, the opposite is true. If sin is sweet, Christ will be bitter to you. You will hate Christ. You will hate the things of God because he keeps you away from your sin. I had a phone call the other day. And uh, the phone call was this. A, a friend of mine called me up and said, you know, I'm so angry. I mean, he was angry, like ready to beat somebody up or cry angry. Like, you know, have you ever been in such a rage where you just get water in your eyes and you just, you're going to do something terrible? He called me up and he said, he said, my boss screamed at me. I didn't do anything. He screamed at me. I, th I should have break his jaw. The only reason I didn't, I didn't swing on him was because, it, it, you know, in the economy, the way it is, if I don't have this job, you know, bad things are going to happen. And I'm just so angry. And he went on for about five or ten minutes. And my, my statement to him was, so you're saying that you're upset because God forced you to act with integrity. See, because sin was sweet, doing what Christ wanted him to do was bitter. See what I'm saying? This goes in every area of our life. Now, we talked about last week, there are three types of temptations that will come your way. Okay? And I don't know about you, I love the smell of these markers. Anybody else? I know this is a recovery church, and some of y'all used to get high on the, all right, sorry. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. Last week, we spray painted, very funny. Some of you lost your clean time, it was pretty funny. And all right, so right, we have the lust of the flesh, right? The lust of the flesh. We said that this was pleasure without God. Pleasure without God. That's what the lust of the flesh is. The lust of the flesh is pleasure without God. And then we said the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is possessions without God. Lust of the flesh is pleasure without God. Lust of the eyes is possessions without God. Acquiring covetousness, the Bible calls it, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Anybody know what the last one was? Pride of life. Boastful pride of life 
Anybody remember what that one was? Position without God. Look at me. I made it by, uh, um, right? Something like that. And then we'll just, yeah, and then it'll go on. <laughs> All right, I can't spell, but you get the point. Fle- uh, 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 lust of the flesh, pleasures. Getting, grabbing things that'll make me feel good. We're going to talk about this all today, so I'm not going to describe it too much. Lust of the eyes, possessions. That's why that commercial wasn't lust of the eyes. It was lust of the flesh, because it was, it was about a pleasure. What was the pleasure? To all these happy, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, not on any bun. A sesame seed bun. You get what I'm saying, right? What is it appealing to? It's appealing to my appetite. It's appealing to uh, the pleasure. Notice it didn't say, now this has, watch this. Notice it didn't say, now it has uh, these kinds of vitamins attract, you know, you'll get this many carbohydrates and this much protein. And, you know, this is a really healthy thing. (laughs) It's not telling you that this is a nutritious meal. It's telling you that it'll be a pleasure. You get what I'm saying, right? And so, lust of the flesh, pleasures without God, lust of the eyes, possessions without God, pride of life, position without God. Now today, what we're going to focus on, what we're going to kind of hone in, is the lust of the flesh. Now I'm going to try to describe this to you, I'm going to try to unpack it out, and then we're going to see some example of uh, what it looks like not to follow this. Now, um... The lust of the flesh is pleasure. Now, getting pleasure without God is anything you do to receive pleasure in and of itself, just for its own sake. Now, watch. This is what I mean by that. Minus Jesus. So here's what I mean. If you get stressed out and your knee-jerk reaction is to go to a Haagen-Dazs and eat it, then you are... It's falling to the temptation of the lust of the flesh. Does that make sense? In other words, what you're doing is that you have a real issue and you're seeking not a godly solution, a fleshly solution. You don't run to Jesus, you run to Haagen-Dazs. Haagen-Dazs is God, not Jesus, right? Let's say, for instance, you're worried that, you know, hey, man, they, they, they laid off, you know, gosh, in February, I think they laid off 600,000 uh, people, right? It's a lot of people, right? You're worried. And whenever you think about that, you don't run to Jesus. You run to Marlboro, right? And you pick up your cigarette and you go, oh gosh, I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen. You're nervous. What, what, what are you doing? You're falling to the temptation of the lust of the flesh. And I'm not going to argue whether, whether or not you should eat Haagen-Dazs or whether or not you should smoke. That's not my point. My point is, is that any time you seek to acquire pleasure outside of Jesus, then you've just fallen into the temptation of the lust of the flesh. You could, you could, you could be worn out, stressed, and read too many trashy novels because it just makes you feel good. Is there anything wrong with reading uh, novels? I don't think there's anything wrong with reading novels. Here's my point. Anything wrong with having ice cream on occasion? I don't think there's anything wrong. Here's the point. When we do it in place of Jesus, we fall into the temptation of the lust of the flesh. Anytime, listen to me, 
you're having an argument with a family member. And you're, you know, you're trying to be godly and you're trying to speak kindly. And, and as you have this argument with this, you say that one thing that you know will get a result. What, what, what are you doing? Why, why would you do that? Ah, uh, you're trying to get pleasure without God. Satisfaction. You're feeding an appetite. You're a rageaholic. You know, you jump out and you rage out on anyone who's around you. What are you doing? You're falling prey to the lust of the flesh. Let me tell you why we do this and why this has such a strong effect on us. The Bible gives us the solution to falling to the lust of the flesh. We're going to read it. It's in Galatians. Now, this is the, this is the, uh, all right, everybody, if you open up your bulletins, does everybody have your bulletin? If you open up your bulletins, inside your bulletin, you're going to see a piece of paper that says see-through in big letters right on top. It's going to say part two. I think it's going to say integrity behind that, uh, under that. If you have that, I want you to just raise it up to me because I want to make sure that everybody's got that. Great. Now, if you don't have it, would you raise your hand so that we could send you, uh, okay, so we have two over here. We have one over here. We have one over here. Okay, so the hosts are going to get that to you. Um, and, and we'll get that to you in just a couple of seconds. Now, here's the deal. Galatians speaks of a solution. This is going to be our memory verse, although this is not where we're going to camp out. This is not going to be where we camp out, but this is going to be our memory verse for today. I say Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16. We're reading from the New King James Version on this particular verse. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I want us all to say that together, except we're not going to say, I say then. We're just going to say, walk. We're going to start with walk in the spirit and, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're all going to say that three times, okay? Uh, walk in the spirit and you shall not. Again. Fill the lust of the flesh. Again. Walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Even you stubborn people. Walk in the spirit. And you shall. I <laughs> can't believe you guys. Great. All right. Everybody's got to rebel. Here we go. Now we're going to put that away. Put that away. Going to close that down. It's not going to be there. Great. Everybody together. Again. Last time, like you think it's the solution to all your problems. Walk in the spirit. The Bible tells you that the solution to walking. In the, in the lust of the flesh is to walk in the spirit. That there's a, a walk, a procedure, a process, a way to be that will help you not to gratify the lust of the flesh. See, what the Bible is saying is that there needs to be an integrity in your life. To walk in the spirit and not to um, gratify the lusts of the flesh is we all walk in something. Some of us walk in deceit. You know you walk in deceit when you're tense all the time and you're worried you're going to be found out. Some of us walk in, in, in anger. Some of us walk in addiction. 
In other words, you have friends. Isn't it true? And it's not, it's not any of you, but you have friends. And um, isn't it true that you have a friend, right, that's making decisions that defy all logic? That this just doesn't, it doesn't even make sense to them. Like, it just, it's insane. They're going out with that guy. It's been painful 50 times. They're going back. It's just insane. And you just try to talk to them. No, but God, and they throw in the God card. They throw in everything. It's just insanity. And you go, they can't hear me. Now, we did the whole thing, um, uh, listen and learn, where, you know, people unplug from you, and they plug into, and, and we won't go into that. But here's what you know. Whenever you see someone behave in a certain way, they're simply acting consistently with what they believe. I, I never listen to people, uh, you know, oh, I love Jesus with all my heart. Yeah, okay, we'll make that determination after we see how you behave. Because how you behave is just an expression of what you really believe. See, what they're saying is, no, 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 God is not most important. Even logic isn't the most important thing in life. You know what the most important thing in life? Is that I get the guy. I fulfill the lust. I get the girl. I fulfill the lust of the flesh. And even if it doesn't make sense to you, it makes perfect sense to them because they're living in the lust of the flesh. Sex, food, um, anything. Okay. What happens is, is that people live their lives compartmentalized. Let me, let me tell you the story about the Titanic. Anybody know, remember the Titanic, right? Anybody know about the Titanic, right? Yeah, okay. Titanic boat supposed to be unsinkable. Let me tell you the reason why the boat was supposed to be unsinkable. The reason that the boat was supposed to be unsinkable is because what they did with the hull, the, you know, the part of the ship that's under the water, okay, what they did was they did what, uh, they compartmentalized the hull, kind of like what they do in submarines, right? Works well with submarines, doesn't work so well with ships. Okay, so... Um, so what they did was they compartmentalized the whole. And here's the theory. The theory was, because these ships would go and, you know, they'd hit an iceberg, right, just like happened in the Titanic. It would cut through the ship. What would happen? Water would fill up the hull and the ship would sink. They said, we've got a solution to this. We'll compartmentalize the hull so that if, if, uh, it does, if the hull does get breached, then the water, we can shut the compartment down, lose the compartment, but not lose the ship. Right? The compartment will be, you know, and, and that makes perfect sense, right? Here's the problem. Didn't work. Anybody heard this new, you know, anybody heard? Right? Has news reached you? Did you get the memo? The Titanic sunk. Right? Right? Watch this. And it doesn't work in life either. See, their logic was, if we could, could just contain damage in this one area of the ship, then it won't affect every other area of the ship. I think some of you know where I'm going with this. See, here's the deal. Whenever you look to satisfy the lust of the flesh, you say to yourselves, whether consciously or unconsciously, I say the same thing. When I was eight years old, I never thought that opening up that dirty magazine was ever going to affect any other area of my life. I never had a clue that opening up that stupid, dirty magazine was going to affect the way I view my wife 25 years later. But you know, it does. It sunk me. See, 
what we do is we say, my personal life is here. My private life is here. My religious life is here. My devotion to Jesus is here. My work life is here. My friend life is here. My hobby life is here. And all of them will stay in their places and never will they ever affect one another. It's why the country is where it is. People thought that what they did with their money, what does how I spend my money on the weekend have to do with keeping my house? Ah, we found out a lot, didn't we? Has quite a bit. Why? Because our lives are not compartmentalized. We don't walk in compartments. God calls us to walk, say it with me, walk in And so what we do is we walk in compartmentalization. And we say to ourselves, hey, listen, the argument that you had with your friend about whatever it was had something that, it, isn't it true? You go to work, right? And here's your work life, right? And you have a horrible day, like my friend. You know, you have a horrible day at work. Your boss was mean-spirited to you. And then all of a sudden, you come home, and now you have an explosive argument with your spouse or your kids or you answer the phone and it's your mom and you have no patience for her. And why is that? Because your life is not compartmentalized. There's no such thing as watching pornography when you're 10 years old and it not affecting you. I try, I try to talk this to kids all the time. I tell the teenagers, and by the way, if you're, I, I just know you're struggling with pornography. I, just, I, I assume every young boy I'm speaking to struggles with pornography. It's just an assumption for me. I never even think, oh, maybe. I assume every, just, it's just an, a natural assumption for me. Well, watch this. It's impossible, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I'm going to keep on trying, even though it feels impossible. It's impossible for me to explain to a, a young boy that his watching of pornography over here, listen to me, at 12 years old is going to affect his relationship with his daughter over here. Like, he's never going to be able to make the connection that the reason that his daughter got pregnant over here was because of the pornography watching over here. Let me explain my case. Stick with me for a second. This is going to seem, you know, well, what does that have to do with anything else? Watch, watch what I mean. There's this compartment, right? And we say, oh, I'm just going to watch this stuff. I'm going to look at this stuff. I'm going to open, in my case, I open the magazine, right? Opened a lot more than that, but just open the magazine, right? I mean, I mean, I opened all sorts of pain in my life is what I mean. And so, right, what happens is he gets images of women. I get images of women that are absolutely demonic and only used for my pleasure. Now, my daughter comes to about 13 years of age. And all of a sudden, she wants to sit on my lap. But because I so soiled my mind over here, my daughter comes to sit on my lap, and I start naturally, and she's being developed, and you know, right? Have you seen some of the 13-year-old girls nowadays, right? It's insane, right? It, it, there's steroids in the milk, I'm telling you. <laughs> all right, so I'm not going to labor that, but all right, you get the point. So, so we're here. His daughter, who's now fully developed, sits on his lap and just wants the affection of her father. But because he has all these conflicting things going on, what does he do? Anybody know? Pushes her off. Right? Get away. Get away. Why? 
Why is that? That's not social propriety. That's not being right. He soiled his mind back here. See, it didn't stay in the compartment, did it? The lust of the flesh. Now, she feels rejected by her father. What does she do? Ah, she'll find someone whose lap she can sit on and feel the affection and the love and the gratefulness about now. What happens? She gets pregnant, comes home. What are you? No, 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 no. Just it started here. Your life cannot be compartmentalized. You cannot walk in compartments. You must walk in the spirit. I hurt myself. I hurt myself when I watched that stuff. When I went outside of relationships, I hurt myself. Till this day, after all the evil things that I've done, the one thing that I regret is seeing another woman naked. I just wish that the first time I would have saw any woman naked would have been my honeymoon. I mean, I just would have said, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Like, you know, it would have been so exciting. It would have been so exciting. I would have been out of my mind with excitement. And I just wish that because it would have saved us so many problems. It's compartmentalization. When sin is sweet, Christ is bitter. That's what we said last week. And this week, what we're trying to let you know is that your life cannot be compartmentalized. Everything that you do in life affects everything else. Life is not compartments. It's fluid. It's liquid. You can't, comp- you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, it's, it's not like this part of the bucket and then this part of the bucket of water and then this part of the bucket of water. It's all the bucket of water, right? It's not this part of the ocean, this part of the ocean. It's all the ocean, right? It can't be compartmentalized. And when we seek to satisfy the lust of the flesh, we ignore the fact that our lives run on a continuum. And that they're all interrelated. And what happens at work affects my home. And what happens in my computer affects my daughter 30 years later. What happens in my heart can wound my spouse 10 years, 2 minutes later. We compartmentalize. What happens is, is we think that sin won't overwhelm us. And this is the cross. And we go, we just want a little bit of Jesus. Because Jesus is the compartment of our lives. And we want a little bit of sin. And here's what I'm saying. That's what happens. Sin overcomes our idea. Sin overwhelms our idea of who Jesus is. That's why so many people start coming to church and then they stop. Why? Not because of Jesus. They're sin. Be very honest. I was talking to, you know, it was great. I was talking um, to my dad. And he was saying, you know, why? You know, why have you come to Christ? You know, because he knew my background and he knew, you know, what kind of a person I was. He goes, how'd you? And I start, you know, we had to start that conversation. But I know why my dad doesn't want to come to Christ. You know, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable or anything, but if you haven't come to Christ, some of you, it's very honest. You're just investigating. No, you really are. You're looking for God, and you're trying to find. And I just commend you. I'm so glad you're here. I mean, it's a struggle, and it's a deal, and all that other stuff. But you're, you're here, and you're investigating the, the claims of Jesus, and I'm just so proud of you. Keep coming. Some of you, though, you can't even see Jesus. And when that guy shows up, you'll take another three or four or five or six, seven-month break 
from coming to church. Why? Anybody know? Shaking it. It's sin. It's sin. My prayer, and this is our hope, that today we would be able to walk in the Spirit. That everything that we do in life, that no matter, everything that we do, now watch this, walking in the Spirit, being a person of integrity, has nothing to do with being perfect. We're just not perfect. Not, you're not perfect. You're not perfect. We're not perfect. But it's about looking at the cross and just focusing on Jesus. And whether it's my social or personal, whether it's work or anything else, I go, Jesus, where do you want me to go? See, the focal point of my life is not my sin. It's, not, it's the cross. Look to the cross. Don't look at the speaker. Look at the cross. That's why I'm back here. And as you look at the cross, you say, hey, is this a wise purchase for my home? Is this a wise decision for relationship? Is this, Jesus, will you lead me in what college to go to? Jesus, will you guide me in what to do with this temptation? See, walking in the spirit means walking consumed, obsessed, focused on, led by the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to do, we don't want to do mini Jesus, right? We don't want to do mini Jesus. We want to do the real Jesus where he's absolute. In our marriage, is this conversation glorifying Jesus with my kids? Is the way I'm speaking to my children glorifying Jesus? At my job, is the way I'm performing at work glorifying Jesus? I was looking at houses yesterday, and I was, you know, seeing, because we're trying to buy a house, and we really, really want to buy a house. And so we got to get out of here. So, um, so the deal is, is that we were, we were looking, and I was like, Jesus, is this something that we could, is this the way to go? Is this, and I just made a list. Yes, you know, is, is there any sin here? Is there any, you know, is, is this going to glorify you? Will this bring you praise? Here's my point. Everything has to do with Jesus. Now, the Bible says, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, it says this. Remember, walking in the spirit looks a lot like integrity, right? The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. The integrity of the upright will guide them. But the perversity of the, of the unfaithful will destroy them. You see, what is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that when we walk, knowing that our lives affect every other area of our lives, what I do at 12 really does affect me at 36. What I do at 36 really does influence what I do at 82. What I, did, what I do at 82 really was influenced by a lifestyle of whatever. You see, that, that it's not just like, it's like, oh, it's just one night. Have you ever heard anybody say that? It's just one night. It's just one. Has anybody here done just one of something that ruined their whole life? I, I wonder if I'm speaking to the right crowd. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one time without a condom. Oh, twins. All right. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Here's my point. Watch this. The whole focus of the rest of the sermon is going to be on the guy who wrote this. His name was Solomon. He was the wisest man that ever lived. 
and he shipwrecks his life because of one area. And he's the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon had great, his father was David. You know who David is in the Bible? King David. Has anybody here ever heard of King David? King David was a man after God's heart. He would do anything for Jesus. He would go out in battle and risk his neck. He would fight wars. He would go forward. Before he would go battle with someone, because his life was not compartmentalized, he would go, and you could read this in the book of Kings and Chronicles and Samuel. David would go on his face before God and say, there's a battle that's to be had, and it looks like we could win, but do you want us to go, should we flee or should we fight? They're, they're coming against us. Should we go or should we, you know, should we fight or should we flee? And God would tell, speak to him and say, flee. You're going to die if you stay on this one. Or he would say, fight. I've given you this day. Because whether it was war or whether it was witnessing or whether it was whatever it was in his life, pleasure, it wasn't compartmentalized. It wasn't my personal life and my private life and my public life. and my. It wasn't anything like that. It was all together. That you can't act out on this one area of your life and think that it's not going to have an effect on every single true story. When I, when I fall into temptation, why is it that I start questioning my calling? What does falling into temptation have to do with preaching? Well, everything. When you understand this principle, it, it, it's all connected together. So this guy, now, his name is Solomon. He was the richest, wisest, I mean, I mean Unbelievable. He wrote several books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, um, the Song of Solomon, uh, the book of Proverbs, considered one of the wise, he wrote most of the book of Proverbs, considered one of the wisest men that ever lived. People came from all over to visit this guy. Here's the deal. God told kings in general, and then Solomon specifically, as he attributed to his life, he said, here's what I don't want you to do. God said, all sin falls into three categories. Now, God didn't say it, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. What he said is, as far as kings are concerned, I don't want you to collect too many horses or women or gold. God says, don't collect too many horses. Don't have too much gold. Don't collect too much women. Anybody can imagine what the women part was for? It's the lust of the flesh, right? Don't collect too many women. Why? Because you'll be led astray. Gold. What do you think that was? Right? What? Uh, right? It was. It was. I possessions. Right? Gold. Don't collect too much gold. Why? Because you'll start relying on your wealth, and not rely on Jesus. Right? And then horses. Horses were a, a sign of your strength. They were a sign of your, of your prowess as an army. Which one do you think that was? Like if you, if you came down the field with a couple of thousand horses, it was like, what? Nobody wanted to fight that guy, right? It was the boastful pride of life. He wanted to show himself as a powerful. And God says, I don't want you. I'm sure I spelled that wrong. Um, so I don't want you. 
to, I'm sure, I, I don't want you to fall to the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the boastful pride of life. So you know what Solomon did? He's the wisest man that ever lived. You know what he did? He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines. Now, some of you perverted-minded people are thinking that's a good thing. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. The only guys who are thinking of that are guys who are still single, um, because if you've had one wife, it's enough, right? And so, it's true. And so, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. If you want to think of it another way, lust of the flesh is sex. Lust of the eye. Uh, Lust of the eyes is money. Um, uh, boastful pride of life is position. Or power, I should say. Sex, money, power. Every temptation you and I are going to go through are going to fall into one of those categories. Either for pleasure, for possessions, for position. Sex, money, power. Women, gold, horses. So Solomon gets this... Um, gets this, this command from the Lord. And then I want you all to turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to go through this really quickly. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. You see where this is going? Does anybody notice where this is going? Yeah. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Anybody know who um, Pharaoh's daughter was from? Egypt. That's exactly right. God said, don't go there. Don't marry their women. Listen, listen to what he did. But it didn't stop with just Pharaoh's daughter from Egypt. No, no, no. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you. For surely, here's the reason why, guys. I don't want you to marry people outside the fold of faith. I don't want you to do it. Why? For surely, factually, absolutely, surely, they will turn away your heart after their gods. And you go, so what? Everything that happens, God says, I want to be the center. I want to be the center of your life. And you say, no, 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 no. You're the center of my life, but I just want to experience a, a little bit, a little bit of sin. And God says, no, no, no. Don't you see? Don't you see? Isn't it true that if you, you could block out the sun with your thumb, right? Isn't it true that you can do that? Can you block out the sun? Who here can block out the sun with their thumb? I can. If you just put it close enough to your face, I can block out the sun with my thumb. Is your sun big? I mean, is your thumb big? No. Is your thumb more powerful than the sun? No. It's just where your focus is, isn't it? Sin can become the same way. If Christ is the number one thing in your life. If every decision you make, if, if you walk in the spirit, this is what sin will be like. 
sin will be just something you have to address. It'll come in your life. Temptation will come. You, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll get prideful. You'll get angry. You'll, you'll, you know, things like this will happen, but it won't consume you. Sin won't. It won't. If sin is the focal point of your life, then you'll block out Christ every time. You'll block out Christ. There'll be no room for the cross. Your God is too small. God wants to be the very center of your life. Verse 3. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Okay, because you know why? Because 700 wives is not enough. I think, now, now listen to me. Why did Solomon, now, I was struggling with bringing this particular verse up to you because it has a couple of, it has a little bit of a mixture of flesh, eyes, and pride of life. By the way, all sin really does. It all kind of combines the two. But the reason that Solomon got 700 wives was not so much for the physical, I mean, although with the 300 concubines, you go, oh, okay, yeah, maybe it was a physical issue. You know, you know anybody have a, you know, sex addicts meeting anywhere near him because he really needs help, right? What? Solomon thought, here's what he thought, that there's a way to get peace from all the enemies of the, of, uh, that are surrounding them. So what Solomon said is, I will marry their daughters. It was a way of doing a peace treaty. So you live, you know, this, this nation is around 100 miles away, close enough to attack. I know what I'll do. I'll marry their daughter. I'll marry their daughter, and they won't attack. You see? Now, God has said, don't do that. Don't marry these foreign women. No, 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 no. Don't you understand, God? I've got a good reason. If I marry them, then there'll be peace throughout the land. There'll be no war, and people won't be attacked. It's a good reason. And God is saying, no, no. Why? Because Solomon was looking for protection without God. Anything wrong with peace? Nothing wrong with peace. How many people want peace like now? I mean, we got wars all over the place. I want peace now. There's something wrong with having peace without God. You see, you want, when, when Solomon went to get peace without God, what he did was he cut God out of the equation. But it's just one area, you think. And Solomon is going, it shipwrecked my whole legacy. And it did. It did. Boy, did it. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Did you see that? And his wives turned away his heart. All sin will do that. You go, sex is better than Jesus. Pornography is better than Jesus. Eating disorders are better than Jesus. Raging out is better than Jesus. Smoking a Marlboro is better than Jesus. It just Whenever you put sin before Jesus, it'll lead your heart astray every time. Verse 4, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was their heart of David, his father. Here's the deal, folks. When we, when sin is sweet, Christ is bitter. 
When sin is delightful, Christ is a nuisance. When sin is a pleasure, Christ only gets in the way. And God simply wants to say, no, I don't want you to act. I know you'll feel better if you curse at your husband or scream at your children. I know that you'll feel better if you give an attitude to your boss or you act out on the internet. I know you'll feel better. I know that you're going you're gonna to feel a sense of satisfaction. But God says, no, I want you, listen, bring your stress to me. Bring your marriage to me. Bring your desires to me. God, I don't know how I'm going to stay pure. I can't stay pure for all this time until I get married. No, no, no. Bring your issues to Jesus. Bring your desires to Jesus. Bring your temptations to Jesus. Jesus, I don't have the strength to stop gambling, but you do. I just want to walk in the spirit today because I don't want to gratify the lust of the flesh. You know what? My, my spouse is treating me very, very badly, but I'm going to walk in the spirit because I'm not going to gratify my flesh. You know, you know I, I'm going to really just give my boss heck for what he's saying and doing and all this other stuff. No, 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 no. I'm going to walk in submission because I'm going to walk in the spirit. You see, I don't want you to be moralist. Most of you think, and this is a tragedy of the Christian church, you think that it's by being good, by holding all the right rules. Solomon obeyed all the rules. Solomon was smarter than you. Solomon knew more Bible than you. He had to memorize the first five books. He had to memorize the first five books of the Bible just before he became king. That's that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some of y'all have a tough time remembering a verse. He memorized the first five books. He knows more Bible than you. And he kept all the rules. Except one. Because when you try to keep all the rules, you fall on your face. You know why? You generally gravitate that which you're focused on. Isn't that true? It's true in driving. I was driving, I saw an incredible billboard. I was driving, the only thing that stopped me from hitting the wall was the little grading thing that said, you know what I mean, right? I was just like, oh, isn't that cool? Oh, man, I shouldn't try to kill my family. You know, keep your eyes on the road. Don't kill your family, right? Now, watch this. Your eyes will generally go where you're focused on. So if you're focused, I won't act out on this sin. I won't act out on this sin. I won't act out on this sin. I'm not going to... Uh, Fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. What are you going to do? You're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And some of you live your Christian lives this way and you're exhausted. And this is the last time you're going to come to church. And I just want to have a word for you. That it's not about the, uh, fulfilling the law or the rules or the being wise. It's about keeping your focus, keeping your eye, being a cross-centered Christian, living a cross-centered life, seeking after Jesus and his pleasure, glorifying him. Solomon kept all the rules except one, and it bankrupted his life. And if we could just, if we could just look, oh, I hope I'm speaking to somebody in this piece. Listen, if we could just look and keep our eyes on the cross, seeing that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the internet. Jesus is better than 
than pornography. Jesus is better than my rage. Jesus is better. Oh, Jesus is better than that girl. Jesus is better than that guy. Jesus is better than that money. Jesus is better than that position. Jesus is better. I don't have to fulfill the lust of the flesh because I'm living. My, my, my desires are all for Jesus. Verse 5, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. You see, it's just, you know what it's going to do? It's just going to explain how badly he gets. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon built high places for Chemosh. You see how bad this gets. He not, not, now he's not just worshiping, he's actually building shrines. You see how this, first it was just, it was just a small compromise. And here's, listen, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying try harder. Please. I don't want you to try harder. You can't. That's the whole point of the sermon today. That if you're going to fulfill the, if you're going to uh, walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh, it's not about memorizing one more rule. Oh, now I can't act out on the lust of the flesh. That's not Christianity. You've missed the point. It's about walking in the spirit, seeing Jesus in every area, every moment, seeing the gospel as not a part of life, but seeing the gospel as life itself. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Verse 7, when Solomon had built the high places for Chemosh, the, ab uh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. You see how close this is getting to home? And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices. That's 700 wives. And all of them, he's worshiping their God. I just want to keep peace. Oh, don't you understand? It's going to shipwreck you. Let me tell you what happened. Later on in Solomon's life, and you can read this. And it's just, you got to read the Bible. I'm telling you, when you read the Bible, it's just like amazing. I love the Bible. Read the Bible. Would you read the Bible? Just read the Bible, okay? Everybody go home and read your Bible, right? Start anywhere you like. If you want, we have some direction, but just read your Bible. Solomon, we know how this story ends. You know what happens? Solomon uh, uh, lives in total debauchery, has his kid. His kid becomes arrogant like Solomon does, and he splits the kingdom in half. That's not in half, it's ten to two. Ten tribes to two tribes. It's, it's, it's awful. Israel and Judah. It's just awful. And, there's, and, and you would never guess, hey, Solomon, wife number three did it. Like, he can, you can't point that out. Like, at what point did Solomon go off track? It was when he stopped focusing on Jesus and started having a better plan. Started having a better solution for his issue. Some of you struggle with depression, and you think that the solution is to, just to try harder or do this or take that and all this other stuff. And what God wants you to do is simply focus, surrender, be enamored, be consumed by the cross, by Jesus Christ. So, so here's the point. If you're asking right now, Solomon, this is terrible. Solomon couldn't obey Jesus all the way. 
So what hope is there for me? If you're asking that, if you're thinking that, you're thinking the right question. And here's the answer. There's no hope for you. None. Not a little bit. You're hopeless. Obeying rules, religion, will absolutely leave you shipwrecked. There's no hope for you. And you're bound by your sin, and you'll live in your sin, and you'll die in your sin. If you live like Solomon did. If you live like Solomon did. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn your back on religion. I want you to turn your back on rules. And I want you to be obsessed with the Savior. That's why Jesus said, what is the whole Bible? When they asked him, what? Distill the whole Bible. Like, what's the most important thing in the whole Bible? How, do you, how can you put the whole Bible in a nutshell? He said, what, remember, anybody remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. What was he saying? He was saying what I've been trying to tell you for the last 45 minutes. Isn't it true? Some of you have loved some demonic things, given your focus and attention to some demonic things, and it affected your family, it affected your workplace. Some of you don't have a work uh, history from like 86 to 2003, right? Because you loved something too much, and it wasn't Jesus. Isn't that true? Like some of, us, some of us have whole pockets in our life, and we go, but it was just one area of my life. No, but it affected everything. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I want you to just focus on me. That when you are consumed, obsessed, in love with, totally passionate about, looking everything, whether it's your eating, whether it's your anything that you do, if, you, if you're gospel-centered and you're focused, you'll be, God will start leading you. And he'll start guiding you. And you'll say, oh God, does this relationship glorify your name? And the Lord will say, no, I think you're going the way of Solomon here. And it goes back to easy. Because I'm obsessed. I'm in love with Jesus. You can't do it by yourself. And because you can't do it, you need to call on the name of Jesus. You need to seek after Jesus. You need to walk in the Spirit so that you do not gratify the lust of the flesh. Now watch this. When you become obsessed with Jesus, here's what, what happens. Because he consumes you, those other things don't have the kind of hold that they have on you before. I mean, they'll call on you. Like, um, you know, I, have you ever been, like, in really in trouble by your parents and then one of your friends scream out the window, like, asking you to go out and play? Now, which one do you want to do more, right? You want to go out and play, right? You don't want to be scolded by your parents, right? Which one are you absolutely focused on? The scolding, right? You're like, okay, I'm sorry, please don't hit me. Um, right? You're focused, right? Why? Because you you got your, once you're focused on one thing, all the other stuff, no matter how much fun it screams about, you're just focused. Now, Jesus is not trying to beat you up, but he does want your attention. Because when you're in love with him, how, the, how can I do that? The question is then, how can I walk in the presence? The first thing is that if you don't know Jesus, you need to surrender to Jesus. I mean, were you expecting anything different like when you came to church today? 
right? Like, if you're here for the first time, I hope you weren't expecting anything different. We love Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I mean, it's, I mean, Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the afternoon, <laughs> Jesus at supper time. It's, it's, it's Jesus, right? We are Jesus freaks. If you want to, you know, if you want to put a little note uh, for fanaticals, you might put our picture up there. So we love Jesus. We love Jesus. But watch this. There's a, there's a little a line. I want you to all grab your sermon maps. This is where I want you to interact with you. There's a little line there. And you go, how can I walk in the spirit? How can I live my life in such a way as I walk in the spirit and I don't gratify the flesh? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to prayerfully practice the presence of God. Pray, is that enough peace for you? Prayerfully practice the presence of God. I want you to prayerfully practice the presence of God. I'm going to say that together four times. Prayerfully practice the presence of God. Prayerfully practice the presence of God. Prayerfully act it, the presence of God. Prayerfully practice the presence. A few more times. Prayerfully practice the presence of God. Prayerfully practice the presence of God. Prayerfully practice the presence of God. What does that look like throughout your day? Here's what it looks like. There's this incredible book that absolutely transformed my life. It was called Practicing the Presence of God. It's by this guy named Brother Lawrence. He's a cook. He was a cook at a monastery. And here's what he would do. He would, and the book is called Practicing the Presence of God. It's because that's all he did his whole life. And he found such satisfaction that no matter if he was cleaning 700 dishes, he was the happiest guy in the world. Here's what Practicing the Presence of God was. See, there's not the gospel and then washing dishes or the gospel and then going to work. Or the gospel. No, no, no. It's all the gospel. All day, all the time. So he literally, he'd be washing a dish and listen to the, his prayerful practices, practice of the presence of God. He would start speaking to Jesus and say, you know, Lord, this dish can't clean itself. And this dish couldn't get clean by itself. But I clean this dish. And, and I make it useful to be used again. And Lord, you do the same with me. You clean me. And I don't deserve it. I don't merit it. I don't earn it. There's nothing I can do to get it. There's nothing I can do to lose it. Because you, it's all your work. You wash me as white as snow. You clean me. And then you use me again. That's prayerfully practice. Washing dishes. He had 700 times to practice that prayer. What is that a prayer of? That's a prayer of gratitude for what Jesus has done. It's not your work, it's his work, right? You're, you're, you're buying the clothes, and you, or, or forget buying clothes, you're putting clothes on tomorrow morning. Lord, I'm putting these clothes on. And just like I'm putting these clothes on, I'm, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm putting on the, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of peace. I'm going to walk in the spirit today. Lord, let the, I, I don't want to put on my filthy rags of sin. I want to put on your righteous rags of holiness. Help me to, to flee from those four. Isn't it true that you have four or five sins that you always fall into? Like, I mean, you don't have like 50,000 sins that the devil attacks you. It's like four or five, right? What is it? Like lust and anger and right, procrastination. And what is it? What's yours? Right? I got my five. What's yours? Right? Well, you can go, oh God, help me to walk in righteousness. Help me to walk in righteousness as I adore you and love you. 
you're walking towards the train to go to work. And you're saying, Lord, even as I'm pursuing to get on this train, to get to my destination, I want to pursue you today. And you will help me to get not only to destinations that I would like to get, but destinations more importantly than you want to get me to. And my life will be so much different. And Jesus will be everywhere. And then when you get to work, Lord, I'm going to do this job for your glory and your honor so that others might be able to see the joy and the love of Jesus in me. And even as you're doing something that's mundane and something that you don't like, Lord, sometimes I feel this way when I'm reading your Bible. I feel like it's boring sometimes. Would you make it more exciting today when I go home to read the Bible? Would you make the Bible more? What are you doing? Just prayerfully practicing the presence of God. Sin will have no stranglehold on you when you prayerfully practice. Why? Because it's that. Watch this. And the first thing you do is you go, Jesus, would you help me? Would you make me to practice the presence of God? Would you, as I'm taking a test, Lord, there are tests that I'm taking. And this is pretty important, right? Like it's the time of the season for really important tests for students, right? But wouldn't it be neat to say, Lord, I know that there are cosmic tests that you have for me. Tests that will determine who I marry. And, it, and, and depending on how I pass or fail those tests, it'll be a happy marriage or a not so happy marriage. Lord, help me to pass those tests. Help me to pass those tests with flying colors, loving you and worshiping you. It's worship. It's living in worship. And the reason why even in some of your hearts right now, the spirit is awakening in you and you're just getting emotional about this. This is the kind of God I've always wanted. Nobody gets excited about rules. But you can get excited about Jesus. We can just give our focus and our attention and the gospel center. Because we're not called to live the lust of the flesh. We're called to walk in the spirit. So this week, all I want you to do is as you're looking at your commercials pointing out, is this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boast and pride of life? I want you to walk in the spirit, practicing the presence of God. And I want you, there's an email on your sermon map. I want you to write to me. Tell me how's it going. You know, I, I, I was thinking when I was eating an apple, you know, how the apple gives me sustenance, but God's word gives me sustenance too. Lord, help me to eat your word. Help me to find your word as sweet. And find as much energy from your word. You see how beautiful that is? Now, in the beginning, it's really, really hard. You can't figure that out for anything. But as you continue to do that, God starts giving you grace in every area of your life to practice the pre presence of God. Prayerfully, because it's all about Jesus. Now, what I want you to do simply, it, it, watch this. If you're going to do that, everybody take out your yellow cards. Take out your yellow cards. These yellow cards are so, so important. Let me tell you why they're so important. I'm almost done. Actually, I only say that so you can keep on listening. Um, so um, um, uh, these yellow cards are so important. Let me tell you, they're, they're our communication with you. And they're your communication with us. If you have a suggestion or a comment, you can write down on this little sheet right here, hey, what, you know, whatever comment, whatever suggestion you might have for our service, and that's fine. We'll listen to you. In fact, we've changed a lot of things because of your suggestions. So we really appreciate your suggestions. Secondly, I want you to, um, as you, if you never fill this out, I want you to fill out as much as you feel comfortable with. We'll never ask you for money. We'll never, um, 
solicit you. We'll never do anything like that. But what we will do is we'll give you information. This week, if you got our email, I had like this movie thing going on because I was watching movies with my daughter. And so, so you know, you, you were invited. If you didn't get invited, we watched Nancy Drew. It was a blast. We ate popcorn. Henry made it. It was really tasty. I mean, it was like fresh, like this, not like microwave stuff. I mean, like we really made popcorn. It was pretty cool. And we had a blast. It was a lot of fun. But you missed out if you didn't have the email. Now, <coughs> also, I, if anybody knows how to do podcasts and all that other stuff, see me. But here's the point. Fill out as much as you feel comfortable with. And on the bottom where it says prayer requests, comments, or suggestions, if you're going to do what I just asked you to do, which is to practice the presence of God and work on memorizing that verse in Galatians. Does anybody remember what the verse was in Galatians 5? Right? Right? It was walk. Let's do it all together. Let's, let's, uh, Liz, would you put that uh, verse up? It's walk in the spirit and you will. Let's say that again. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That if you walk, if you go, as you go throughout the week, you know, you just continue to repeat that in your mind. Walk in the spirit and I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're going to do that, I want you to write down here, practicing the presence of God. Just write that down. Practicing the presence of God. I'm going to practice the presence of God this entire week. And hopefully it will be a habit that you develop for a lifetime. If you do that, you know what life, how much different life will be for you? There will be, listen to me, listen to me. Some of you, some of you will avoid the greatest mistakes of your life because you didn't live um, to gratify the lust of the flesh, but you lived to honor God. Listen, some of you will absolutely, your lives will be transformed. Your, the next 30 years will be totally different than your last 30 years. Your life will be don't live to gratify the lust of the flesh. That only brings pain and suffering. Now, the musicians are going to uh, come up. And what we're going to do after the musicians come up um, to sing, we're going to have, Gus is going to come up and say a couple of words. But here's the thing. I want you guys to sing to Jesus. I mean, sing to Jesus because he's worthy. What have we learned today? We learned that we want nothing to do with religion. We want everything to do with Jesus. I encourage you to sing in a spirit that would honor God. So they're going to sing a song for us, and uh, we'll just sit down and, and listen to that. But in, after Gus finishes speaking, we'll sing to Jesus, and, uh, and we'll praise the Lord. So I'm going to pray for you and ask God to help us with this. Father, thank you so much for the, this amazing opportunity to practice the presence of God, to worship with all of our hearts and all of our minds for the gospel to be the very center of our lives. Father, we pray that as we investigated the life of Solomon, we don't want to be shipwrecked like Solomon. Lord, we want to, we want to live a life that, not based on rules, but based on adoration, based on worship, based on loving you more than anything else. So, Father, help us to do that. Help us to walk in that. Help us to seek your face in that. Help us to love you and worship you and honor you in all that we say and do. Father, that your name would be lifted high, that your name would be glorified. Help each one of us to practice this week the presence of God so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth.
of Jesus Christ as Lord, to the glory of the Father.